As we stand, let us pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open up your word to us this morning by the power of your spirit. Help us to listen, help us to hear that which is from you, and to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. CNN's longest-running and most-watched program was... Yes, Larry King Live. Just ended after 25 years, ended at the end of last year. And for those 25 years, Larry King conducted some 60,000 interviews. Some years ago, seven to be precise, on his 70th birthday, the interviewer became the interviewee on CBS's 60 Minutes during the course of which Larry King was asked, what is your greatest fear in life? His answer, the fear of dying. It doesn't matter how tough or famous or influential you are, death is something that sooner or later affects everyone. Indeed, the most certain thing about life is death. Death is the ultimate statistic. Well, it is against this backdrop of death that our Old Testament and Gospel readings are set this morning. From Ezekiel, we have a picture of a valley filled with dry bones. You can't get much more dead than that. And our Gospel reading began with Jesus arriving in the town of Bethany, Three days after his good friend Lazarus was dead and buried. And if you've closed your Bibles, you might like to open them again at page 873. And uh, that will be useful as we go through this. The first thing in verse uh, 21 that Lazarus' sister Martha says to Jesus is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I wonder, was that a statement of faith or a statement of blame? Maybe it was both. But either way, it's a statement I suspect many of us have made a thousand times over. If only. If only God had done something and healed my sick child. If only God would change my circumstances. If only God would stop the pain. And in the face of pain and grief and death itself, Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who believes in me will never die. Extraordinary words. They are the words with which we began Friday's funeral service here. They are the words of hope and life, even in the face of death. But what do they mean? Is this all just wishful thinking to make us feel good? Or is there somehow in Christ really hope in the midst of despair? Can there truly be life where we see death? You know the answer I'm going to give. It's yes, there is. 
But let's take a closer look at this story to see why. If we go back to the beginning of this account, we learn that when Lazarus had become gravely ill, Mary and Martha had sent a message to Jesus. Verse 3, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now we know from the Gospels that Jesus had a special affection for Lazarus and his sisters. He'd been in their home a number of times. And no doubt, Mary and Martha, when they sent this message, I'm sure they expected Jesus to respond quickly and to come. But he didn't. Verse 4, when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, rather it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and his sister Mary and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. No wonder Martha greeted him with those words, If only you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. And yet, though unknown to Martha at the time, the truth was that the delay of Jesus in responding to Mary and Martha's cries for help, that delay was for a purpose. And that purpose was bigger and greater and more significant than Lazarus's grave illness. Of course, when your brother or daughter or husband or mother is gravely ill and at death's door, it is hard to think of anything else when you are no longer in control of your circumstances, when you are desperate for help, it is easy and understandable to lose any sense of perspective other than that which you have in the midst of your crisis. But in those times, when all may seem hopeless, hold on to the truth that Jesus is not deaf to your cries. He's not ignoring your prayers because he doesn't care about you or he's got better things to do. Rather, there are eternal purposes that we may not understand or see. But whatever the reason, Jesus knows, sees, understands, cares, and in the grand scheme of all eternity, he's done something about the brokenness of our lives, a brokenness that leads even to death. What we see in this extraordinary story today, just two weeks before Easter, is two very important things. First, the death and raising to life again of Lazarus was a foreshadowing of what was to come with Jesus. And second, it was also a cause of what was to come for Jesus. This act by Jesus calling Lazarus out of the tomb is a pivotal moment in the whole Gospel of John. What Jesus did that day in Bethany, just two miles from Jerusalem, was the immediate reason for the religious authorities' decision that Jesus had to be stopped. He had to die. You know, our reading ended, and you're probably glad it was kind of long, but it ended at verse 45. But had you gone on just a little bit further, you would see, 45 said, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Carry on. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what he'd done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the council and said, what are we to do? This man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, 
everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, he was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. You do not understand that it's better for you to have one man die for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed. And then verse 53, so from that day on, they planned to put him to death. When Jesus got the message from Mary and Martha, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing when he waited to respond. There was a reason he didn't rush immediately to Bethany. His delay was to lead to God's glory. The glory that came, yes, when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb, absolutely. But more than that, the glory that came when Jesus gave up his life for the world. Jesus knew the consequences. He knew what they would be for Lazarus, and they knew what they would be for him. Lazarus would live. Jesus would die. So then for Lazarus, as later for all his followers in every time and place, Jesus deliberately offered up his life for his friend. God is very tough-minded, willing to do and to allow whatever is necessary for eventual and infinite joy. And God is very tender-minded, weeping with us, suffering with us on the way to that joy. Although they could not see it or understand it at the time, it was actually out of love that Jesus held back and didn't intervene in the way Mary and Martha wanted him to. And he permitted them to go through all that anguish. I wonder how often we may want to blame God for not intervening more in our lives. And so we cry out, if only God would do this or that or the other. But one of the lessons of this story And Jesus' delay in responding to the cry for help is that it reminds us that God is sovereign. He knows what he's doing. He sees the whole picture. So often we only see a very small part. And furthermore, despite all the propaganda to the contrary, our Lord's purpose for us is not to make us happy, but to make us holy. Although we might want a life of unmitigated pleasure with instant answers to our prayers and cries for help all on our own terms on our timetables that is seldom the route to holiness but because God does not always answer our prayers when or how we would like it does not mean that he hasn't heard us or that he doesn't love us Indeed, this is one of the other great lessons from our reading today, is just how much God does love us. We see that love that Jesus had for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. When Mary catches up with her sister and comes to where Jesus was, she says the exact same thing to him. Verse 32, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But read on. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He asked where the tomb is and then burst into tears. Why do you suppose that was? 
Now, the answer could be a whole other sermon, but I'm just going to give you three reasons why I think Jesus was weeping, even though he knew what he was about to do. First, Jesus was not pulling cosmic strings and entering into some charade as one who didn't care about the grief and the loss. Jesus was not toying with them before making a a grand flourish when he'd call Lazarus out of the tomb. No, what these tears of Jesus show us is that he is the one who entered into their grief. He is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah years before had said, he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Second, as Jesus was confronted by the tear-stained faces of his dear friends and by all the weeping and the grief that was present in that moment, I think that all that emotion stirred up in him deep sadness and sorrow, not just in sympathy, but in something going on in Jesus himself. You know, if you walk into a room where people are beside themselves with grief, it's hard for that not to happen to you. When I walk into those situations at a hospital bedside or in a living room where someone has just received tragic news, I often find that the grief and the sorrow that I carry in my own heart gets stirred up. And I think that may have been happening with Jesus. But for Jesus, that grief and sorrow was not about something past, about something that had been lost, but about all the pain and the grief that was about to come upon him. For he was on his way to Jerusalem. The third reason Jesus wept, I think, is altogether different. Twice, John tells us that he was deeply disturbed. First, when he saw Mary crying in verse 33, and then again, uh, verse 38, when he came to the tomb. Greatly disturbed could equally be translated as angry. Jesus was more than just sad or sympathetic or grieving his own impending suffering. One commentator put it this way, Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state not of uncontrollable grief, but of inexpressible anger. True, he did also respond with tears, but the emotion which tore his breast and clamored for utterance was rage. Well, if that's right, what was it that stirred up that kind of visceral reaction in Jesus? I think it was death itself. Jesus was in the beginning with God creating the world. Here, the author of life was staring at death, utterly perverse. In Mary's grief and his own, he sees and feels the misery of the whole human race, and he is enraged by that ultimate statistic. This was not the fear of death that Larry King spoke of. This was more outrage and wrath at death itself. And behind death, the one who had the power of death the one he had come into the world to take on and destroy. Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, was confronting, confronting death. In a short while, he was going to confront it once and for all in his own death on the cross. But here, 
Jesus demonstrated that he was who he said he was as he calls Lazarus out of that tomb. One of the powerful lessons from our scriptures this morning is that there is no situation which is beyond God's help. With God, there is always hope. Indeed, is that not the story of the Bible from the beginning to the end? It is the story of God transforming seeming hopeless situations into opportunities for showing his glory. But you know, it's one thing to believe that Jesus has the power to raise us from the dead on some future occasion. But it's quite another to believe that Jesus can do something about our lives in the here and now. There are a lot of Christians, I suspect, who will readily say that they believe that Jesus will raise them to eternal life in the end. But they act as if he had no power to affect their lives now. They are like Martha saying, Lord, I know Lazarus will rise on the last day, not realizing that Jesus will rise Lazarus that day. If Jesus has the power to give us life after death, does he not have the power to give us life before death? The hope that we have as Christians is not only hope for the future, hope for tomorrow, hope for life after death. It is that. It's all of that. But it is also the hope of life before death. Life that comes to us even in the dry places, the waste places of our lives. That life that comes through the Holy Spirit as we allow him to breathe on us. Don't be scared by that. Welcome it. In Ezekiel's dream, once he had asked the spirit to breathe life into those bodies, he no longer faced a vast army of, uh, well, a valley of bones and then a, a static army. But now this army prepared for action. And God still works in the midst of dryness and deadness to bring his people back to life. To make them ready for action in his service. Now God doesn't breathe his life into us so we can get high on some spiritual oxygen. He breathes life into us so that we can be empowered to follow Christ. To serve him with our lives. To reach out into all the places of dryness and deadness where you live. Where you encounter that. And we do that in the power of the spirit. The Lord of Ezekiel's vision, who brought life where there had only been death, and the Lord who raised Lazarus from the dead with a word, is the same Lord that we have come here this morning to worship today. As you consider the fields of dry bones in your life, or amongst those whom you love, will you call upon the Lord and ask him, to send his Holy Spirit once more to breathe life and health and strength into your hearts and your minds, into your marriages and families, into our church and community, in order that others would see the glory of God, that others would see in us the truth and vitality of this hope that we proclaim as Christians. Hope that persists against all odds. Hope that is based on Jesus, the one who is the resurrection and the life.
Do you remember that refrain we sang in Psalm 130? There is mercy with God. There is plenteous redemption. Christ, the Lord of life, still invites the world to come to him. Death is inevitable for all of us, but Christ has won the victory over it. And he shares that victory with all who repent and believe in him as Savior and Lord. There is mercy with God. There is plenteous redemption. But we have to die to ourselves in order to receive this gift of life so that we may live as Christ calls us to live. As for Jesus, so for us, death leads to resurrection. As the great missionary Jim Elliot once said, he is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who believes in me will never die. And after he said that, he turned to Martha and asked her, Do you believe this? And that question still stands for each one here this morning. Do you still believe this? Amen.